to losing a child, always Andy's mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode six of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm your host, Andy's Mom. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Jack's mom, Anna Whiston Donaldson. Jack was killed at the age of 12 in a freak flash flood in 2011. Anna was a popular blogger at the time on her blog entitled An Inch of Gray. For her, continuing to blog throughout her pain helped to bring her healing and led her to write her first book, Rare Bird, which became a New York Times bestseller. Today, Anna and I discuss rediscovering hope in life and also talk about siblings whom Anna calls the forgotten grievers. Be sure to visit my website, andysmom.com, for a link to Anna's blog, An Inch of Gray, as well as to her website, annawistondonaldson.com. Her book, Rare Bird, can be purchased at andysmom.com backslash rare bird and a hug from heaven at andysmom.com backslash hug. Thank you all so much for your continued support. I love getting emails, hearing about your amazing children. Telling their stories helps them live on in our hearts. If you feel called to support the show financially, you can visit patreon.com backslash Andy's mom. Any donation will be used to offset the production costs. Together, we can rekindle hope and healing in our lives. Thank you so much, Anna, for agreeing to be on the show today. I so appreciate getting to chat with you for a while. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. So uh, for my listeners, Anna is an author. She also has a blog, An Inch of Gray. She's an author of two books. The first book is Rare Bird. The second one is called A Hug from Heaven. I read a rare bird a rare bird several months ago and just fell in love with it. I just f- thought it was so amazing um, to read when you're early in your grief process because it really, um, I felt like you got me. I felt like you understood exactly what I was going through. So I appreciate that. That makes me happy because that was really my goal in writing that book. Mm-hmm. So um, I met Anna this summer. We went, I went to a bereaved women's conference here in West Michigan, and Anna was brought in to speak. Um, do you do quite a few speaking engagements now, Anna? I do. I absolutely love speaking to uh, bereaved parents groups, but also to uh, people who are not bereaved and just sort of giving them a window into this world. Mm-hmm. Into the world that so many people don't want don't understand and certainly don't want to ever have to understand I don't want people to have to go through this but it is nice to be able to educate people a little bit absolutely Um, so 
Anna, I do want to start out kind of how I always do and have you just talk to me about your son, Jack, and just tell me about what he was like, not about what happened to Jack, but about Jack. Sure. I think that's really important because our children are so much more than the way that they died. That is just one part of their story, but there's so much more that we as parents um, have experienced and so many more, so many reasons that we love our kids uniquely. Um, Jack was 12 when he died, which I think 12 is just 12 year old boys are pretty amazing. And um, he was very funny with a quirky sense of humor. I got him in trouble a little bit, but um, he was always just entertaining us. He always was making up games for the family to play, for neighborhood kids to play. Um, he was just extremely creative artistically and verbally. Um, he was very sensitive. And, um, you know, when he was really little, that was tough for him because he didn't know why he was so sensitive. And I just, you know, helped him understand that he just felt things very deeply and that that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in our family, he really played the role of... Um, being the person who, who really made each person in the family feel very understood. And um, I think that made it just even more devastating when he did die because uh, in addition to our just grief upon grief, we had this compounded sense of just really not being understood in our family anymore. That would be my little daughter, Margaret, who was 10 at the time, my husband, Tim, and me. Mm-hmm. He just always kind of got you. He did. And that's really, you know, something we love in life is is just feeling um, as if someone understands us. He was very easy to love, um, but that does not mean that he was not, you know, could not be difficult sometimes. He struggled with, um, he struggled with obsessive compulsive disorder from the time he was probably three or four on. And uh, that was tough. And as I said before, being very sensitive was also, was also tough for him. Um, but he was uh, just extremely lovable. And I think that's, uh, reading that about him in your book made me appreciate him so much because he was very, very similar to my son, Andy. Um, My son, Andy, we really talk about, was kind of the glue in the family. He uh, loved everyone deeply. He uh, always wanted to make other people happy. He was very upset if I were to be sad or if I was sick or he just was so sensitive and caring about emotion. They're just sensitive souls, I think. And, um, and that's yeah. sweet, but it, it makes sweet. us miss them. <laughs> it does. Them. And it helps us, um, learn lessons from them when we can look back at those character traits and think, well, how can I have more of that in my life? One character mm-hmm. trait that really stands out to me, um, which my sister pinpointed, it was a, a character trait of, of Jack's was um, that he could really feel joy about other people's joy, even if it wasn't his own. And uh-huh. so she phrased that share others joy. And I thought, whoa, how often do I see something great happening to someone else? And I'm like, oh, their house yes. is their house is better than mine, or their family is not broken like mine is, or all these things. But then when I look at it from the way that Jack perceived things, um, you know, because he loved sports, but he wasn't the best athlete, but he took joy in other people's accomplishments, things like that. I can still learn those things from him. And and that's Andy to a T. He was never 
the best kid on the team, but everybody always wanted Andy on their team because he was the best cheerleader, you know, and, but you're right too about Andy having plenty of faults. I mean, there's, I don't want to make it seem like he was perfect because he was anything but he drove me crazy sometimes (laughs) with his emotionality. That's for sure. Sure. And that's too much pressure for any of us to try to be perfect. And, um, it's also important in a grieving family not to, uh, you know, put the person who died on such a pedestal that you lose grip with reality. So I think it's mm-hmm. important to talk about both because we're all just, you know, we're all just humans and we have our, our good things and our bad things. Yeah. And I try to even talk about that to my own kids to talk about, um, things that Andy screwed up on or things that Andy didn't do right, just because I don't want them feeling this pressure like, um, like I think he was perfect and they yeah. need to somehow live up to that. So yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's important. So um, now let's just go into what did happen to Jack. Sure. So I know that people uh, listening are going to have had experience with sudden loss and also loss that um, was was following long illnesses and things like that. Um, our son died suddenly in September of 2011. So uh, we've just come on eight years now. And what happened was um, it was the second day of school. Jack was just starting seventh grade. And as I said, he was, had, was 12 years old and his little sister was 10. And uh, we had come home from school during a very, very rainy day. And we had sustained rains for about a week or two in our area where it still felt like summer because it was warm out, but we kept having these, these big rains. Mm-hmm. So um, we got home from school and we were so surprised and delighted that the electricity was out in our house. It just felt <laughs> kind of fun. And right. so we, we lit some candles and had a snack and the kids did their homework by candlelight. And about an hour later, we had some neighborhood kids knock on our door asking if Jack and Margaret could go out and play in this rain. And um, the, the kids were soaking wet, having walked from the bus stop, and they were just having so much fun. And I said, absolutely. And so my kids went outside, and boy, was that a happy bunch, heading down our long driveway to the cul-de-sac, lots of squeals and screams. And uh, my last view of Jack, was seeing him with his hands raised to the sky and doing a full spin with a huge smile on his face. Um, And that kind of, if you see the hardcover of Rare Bird, uh, the soft cover is more prevalent, but if you see the hardcover, what you'll see is is, uh, a boy doing just that because that was my last view of Jack. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, a little while later, I thought I heard thunder. And so I knew I had to get the kids immediately because... Um, they shouldn't be playing in the thunderstorm. So I hopped in my car to drive down to the cul-de-sac. Mommy didn't want to get wet. And so um, I went down to the cul-de-sac, but the kids were not there. Um, I saw Margaret uh, on the sidewalk, and she uh, told me that Jack was in one of the neighbor's backyards. And so I went down to the backyard to to get him. And um, there were only two boys playing there, not three. Jack was was not in sight. And it turns out that something had happened and somehow he had fallen into a creek. And this was a creek that normally uh, was just a non-issue in our neighborhood. It was um, a, just a dry little creek bed. But at this point, it was like a raging flooded river because of all the soaking rain mm-hmm. um, from the previous two weeks. And it was very dangerous. And I... Um, 
I immediately felt in my heart that Jack was dead, which seems crazy, but um, that's what my heart told me. And that didn't mean we didn't look for him. It didn't mean that I didn't hold out hope, but it was just a very terrifying experience. And um, Mm -hmm. my daughter who had left less than a minute before Jack died, um, really felt guided to get out of that backyard, even though nothing, you know, perilous appeared to be happening. She just felt a very strong urging. And I think that that urging, um, was likely God just getting her out of a situation that was going to very quickly turn dicey. And, uh, and that she wouldn't have to remember that forever. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's what happened. Jack drowned that, um, late afternoon, early evening. And um, it took a couple hours for the uh, rescuers to try to, to, to find him. And you really just missed this happening by probably seconds yourself, right? Yes, actually less than a minute uh, for, for mm-hmm. Margaret um, hopping in my car and then for me getting down to the um, to the creek. So there mm-hmm. were definitely... Because yeah. the boys hadn't even had time to react much, I don't... Did they? Or had they started no, they, running and screaming and no they just were just standing there and they um it was not registering i don't think the, the severity of what was happening um okay and so i definitely um i definitely ha- have had some second guessing especially in the beginning about you know why did i uh take so long to get there you know why didn't i hear the thunder sooner or why didn't i why did i stop and talk to the mom of that house who leaned out the window you know, chatting with me, you know, there was some of that, but, um, mm-hmm. but I will say that I am very glad that I haven't had a lot of rumination over those final seconds, because I think that that could have just added so much pain to, mm-hmm. uh, to the pain that I was always ex- already experiencing. And I know so many bereaved parents do carry so much pain when it comes to what could I have done differently? Yeah. I, I know I have had that quite a lot, you know, had I, you know, had I not stopped for the extra ticket, had Eric had to work later, had we had I not let Andy go upstairs before we left for the baseball game, there were all these little things uh-huh. that, you know, had I just all I needed to do was change our route by 15 seconds. Yeah. You know, if I just could have changed things by 15 seconds sooner or later, then it wouldn't have happened. But then I do tell myself too, but then this would have happened to someone else because somebody else would have gotten a hit because there was still someone not paying attention when they were driving and ran full on into somebody, right? So, and I have thought to myself too, we were in a big minivan and and he was in the second row and killed. And I thought if somebody, if they, that person would have hit a smaller car, likely the whole family would have died too. So, you know, it's hard, you know, you go back and all these what if, what if, what if, and think that, you know, this wouldn't have happened. But yeah, then I know it would have happened to someone else too. And I don't want to wish that on anyone either. So it's a, it's a bad game that your mind plays, I think. It is. And you can really get caught in, in a loop. And I'm not saying I haven't been in that loop before, but um, but I'm just uh, glad that I'm not in it now because that can be very painful and we can really torture ourselves. And I think it's hard as parents because we feel like our primary goal as parents is to protect our children. Mm-hmm. And so 
it can feel like a real failure. And Mm -hmm. if you're feeling like that, I am just so sorry because our kids don't see it like that at all. And um, no, but it is easy to feel that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And understandable. But it is something to try, try your hardest to to let go of and to not feel. Um, You know, you mentioned too about how um, Jack and Margaret were best friends. So yeah, you could just talk about their relationship. Mm -hmm. Sure, I'm happy to. So um, they were just two years apart. And they were just the absolute best of friends. And I love that because there wasn't a competitiveness between them. Uh, They definitely had complementary personalities. And um, Margaret was just like super spunky and blunt and um, a little more just like physical. And uh, Jack was more, a little bit more uh, sort of thoughtful and inward, but super funny. Mm -hmm. And so they just had a really great relationship. And as a mom, I was so happy about that, really cultivating Mm -hmm. that. And then after Mm -hmm. Jack died, I thought, gosh, would it have been better if they weren't as close? Would that make this less painful? Would that make it more painful? Because maybe there would be some guilt about that. I'm not sure. All I know is, is that one afternoon, those two best friends were playing. And then hours later, this little girl was alone, alone in our house, alone as the only child left living in the family. It was just, my heart broke for her and yeah, my heart actually hurt more for her than it did for us as parents because um, I realized that she was not only losing her best friend, but her sense of security, her sense mm-hmm. of safety. She was losing her sense of the past and then also the future that she would have had with this big brother mm-hmm. who absolutely looked out for her. So mm-hmm. one of the hardest parts of uh, grieving Jack has been grieving what Margaret has lost. There's no question about that. I feel the exact same way. Peter and Andy were absolutely best friends. And Peter adored Andy. Everything Andy did, uh, he adored. And um, every activity Andy did, Peter wanted to do. So it was almost like we didn't even see as much of Peter's personality until now that Andy has gone, just because he just wanted to be like Andy. So, And it's hard to watch their whole world kind of disappear and have to go on without that. Yeah. Yeah. I think they really are the forgotten gravers because, you know, people do check in how are mom and dad doing mom in particular, Mm -hmm. and then maybe dad, they act a little secondary. Um, So if you're a dad and you're really feeling forgotten, I'm very sorry. And then it's the other kids in the, the household and with Margaret, um, just going from two to one and having her parents laser focus on her and just the seat next to her in the car. Yeah. I just, my heart hurts for siblings who just have this huge gap in their lives now. And um, mm-hmm. they just have the, the laser focus of the parents on them, or maybe their parents are withdrawing so much in their grief that they can't really be there for them. I just mm-hmm. think about these siblings and just how their grief is often forgotten, but it's so important. Well, and I feel like they end up putting a pressure on themselves to help their parents too. I, 
I think back to the night of the accident and, you know, we were told at the side of the road that Andy had died. They did not tell that to Peter. They had Peter in a separate ambulance, brought him to the hospital. So then I had to tell him, although I, he knew, I mean, he saw him. Um, but I told him and the first thing he did was start rubbing my arm and comforting me and saying, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the role that they put on themselves because they see their parents hurting so badly that they try, try to protect them, I think, and then sometimes don't deal with their own grief um, as as soon as they really should probably just because they're trying to help their parents so much. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a big burden for a child. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't wish that on any child. No, no. It's just a lot to go through. Um, I, yeah, I always, I think about that too with my kids having to, having lost Andy and having to be the, you know, the kid who had a brother die. Um, and I think back to my own childhood, my parents both had cancer when I was a teenager and my mother passed away when I was in college. And, and I always felt like I was thought of as the kid whose parents had cancer. And I never wanted my kids to be like singled out like that and thought of in that way. And yet here it ended up happening to them as well. So it hurts as a parent to watch your children hurt. It does. At one point, Margaret um, just said to us, I feel like an alien. And I thought that was so apt because she, you know, kids do not want to be different in any way to have this huge difference thrust upon them. Um, and having often a whole community know, know about it. Um, in my case, because I was a blogger, it was even wider than that. It Mm -hmm. just adds to this, this, you know, you have the grief and then it's compounded with this just feeling of being other and being different and kids just don't want that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Catherine didn't eat lunch in the lunchroom for all of last year because she just felt like everyone would be looking at her. Everyone would know that she was the one, you know, so it's just hard. And it's something you don't like to see. Um, you know, I, in your book, too, I really felt another strong kinship with you because the fact that you lost your mother when you were in college, too. Um, I know I felt like that was kind of I'd kind of done grief and I understood grief. And this you know, what that was kind of my bad thing to have happened to me that I really wasn't expecting more things to happen. I think you felt that way as well, didn't you? Oh my goodness. Yes. I, my mom died when I was 18, very suddenly of a brain hemorrhage. And I really felt like, okay, that was my big tragedy. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was really hard, really, really hard to dig in and find a, a positive life out of this. And so I really would not have been able to conceive of, of losing a child on top of it. And then as far as, um, with my mom, you know, I just put one foot in front of the other and just tried to lead this good life. And, uh, then to have a child die. Whoa. I mean, just the level of pain and shock and despair was just unimaginable. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, you just can't think there would be anything worse especially when you're still kind of growing up because I was in college still kind of growing up too. And you think, well, this is as bad as it can get. Right. And then all of a sudden you experience something and you realize that wasn't as bad as it can get. 
Yeah. And not to be depressing. I mean, I don't want people to be afraid to listen to this podcast because no, you no, know, you and I have been hit by these double whammies or whatever. But the thing is in life, you know, we just do not know what is, no. what is going to happen. And, um, and just as, you know, I was able to, you know, survive and learn how to thrive after my mom dying. Um, you know, here I am and, um, I have genuine joy in my life, mm-hmm. even though my son is in heaven. So, you know, there is, there is a lot of hope out there, but, oh, yes. yes, but we don't get that lot. hope. We don't get and- that hope by ignoring the pain. No, no, you can't. And you can just stuff it away and try to do that. But it's that's not the way to handle it. It's much better to just kind of face things head on and, you know, get up every day and keep trying every day. Um, so can you tell us about how that first book came to being into being? Because I just think that's a great story. Sure. Um, so the first book, as you said, is called Rare Bird. And it came out five years ago this month. And um, so I guess I have my book anniversary. <laughs> and um, it came because I was already a blogger before Jack died. I was just blogging about anything and everything, um, mainly, you know, little stories about the kids, stuff like that. A lot of mm-hmm. humor, a lot of humor writing. And um, after he died, I kept blogging like from the very, you know, first days. And that was really cool because my readers who were just devastated for me showed up and then I would show up to write to show them that, okay, I'm getting up today. I can, you know, I'm, I'm breathing. And then they would keep showing Mm -hmm. up for me and it became a cycle. And I am so grateful for those readers for helping keep me going. That's for sure. And then amazingly enough, um, the book came out of that because, um, the blog community um, led to an agent finding me, led to a publisher finding me, and this offer to write this book. And I'm thinking, what? Are you crazy? I'm the most depleted, you know, mm-hmm. that I've ever been in my life. Can I even do this? And if you are experiencing grief brain, you know that that's real, like where you can't remember anything and it's hard to put thoughts together sometimes. Um, oh, Yeah. So I couldn't believe that that something people dream of, which is writing a book, would come to me, this offer, this opportunity, right when I was at my worst, or at least my most depleted. But it yes. did. And um, I thought, you know, if writing this book now, as opposed to waiting like 10 years, if writing this book right now in the midst of it could help one person, then I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And what was so cool was that because the opportunity came when it did, it creates a different kind of grief book. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're like me, but I had like a stack of like 20 books next to my bed because I was yes. like, if it doesn't deal with grief, I don't care right now because this is a huge well, thing. Well, I couldn't even read them. I had a stack piled up so high. I had, there. there's a book called Lament for a Son, and I was given eight copies. <laughs> yeah, it's a great book. It is a great book. It is a great book. It is a great book, but you really don't need eight copies. I've given no. a lot of copies away, so. I bet. Well, and the thing is, is that if I had written this book 10 years after Jack dying, the book would be so different, but because I wrote it while it was really unfolding in real time, it becomes... Um, a raw book about early grief. And I feel like that was something that was missing um, in a lot of other books. So I'm really happy the opportunity came when it did. 
And I'm really proud of myself for, for saying yes, when really um, everything was such a struggle for me, even as I was doing it. And like, like the, even just the day-to-day things were such a struggle, but I said, yes. And I got to tell you, it was not, a, not a hard book to write. It was not a hard book to write because it just poured out of me because it was what was happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the cool and thing is, I just so appreciate people. that book. I just like, I felt like that book was written for me <laughs> because it just was, as I was living, it just, all those feelings that I was feeling, they were right there on the page. And uh, all the other books that I had read were like you said, they were so much written so much further out. They were always written 10 years out when you have this different perspective on looking at things through a different lens that is much more filtered and much less pain-filled, right? The, the pain yes. just does gradually get just a little bit better. And I actually wanted to read something that still showed all that pain because I was feeling that. And when you read books that are much more happy, then I then I end up feeling guilty like, man, I shouldn't be feeling like this. I should be right. feeling better or make me want to throw the book and like, this isn't real life. This isn't real. This can't be. So yeah, that's why I oh, love it. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that the book meant something to you because I mean, that really that really was my goal. And, um, you know, putting yourself out there can make you feel very vulnerable. And, uh, I, I didn't want the book to cause my family any more pain, like to embarrass my family or mm-hmm. to cause rifts or to have people, you know, heap judgment on me. Oh, you know, that mom letter, you know, put her son in a dangerous situation by letting him go out there. Like I was worried about all of that, but I also just felt this sense of doors opening. And you know what, if this door is going to open to write this book, I'm going to just try to step through it. If another mm-hmm. door opens up, I'm going to step through it. And I really hoped that, that that would be the right decision and that it would end up helping people. And truly, truly over these last five years, I have found that it has helped so many people. And that, that makes me feel, you know, it makes me feel really, really good. So thank you. Well, and it gives you a little sense of purpose again, which I felt like was a big loss for me, just that overall sense of purpose. You know, your story and your book reminds me so much of me and this podcast. Because I, I, I really, I mean, I was just suffering and trying to get through each day. And I finally got up enough energy to start reading books. And I started reading some books. And then I thought, you know, I should listen to a podcast. My husband does a podcast. My husband listens to multiple podcasts every day. My daughter loves podcasts. I'm going to, you know, kind of join the 21st century here a little bit and and listen to a podcast on parental grief. And I just started looking and gosh, I really could not find one. I found some on grief. There aren't even that many on grief, honestly. And they would occasionally would talk about this, about child loss, but it wasn't really the focus. Um, And I just, all of a sudden, I get this overwhelming feeling like, I think this is what you're supposed to do. I think you're supposed to start a podcast. And then I told Eric, which I don't even know why, really, because I don't think I really wanted to, because I didn't think... (laughs) I had any skill to be able to do this at all, but yet I told him and then he said, yeah, I think you really should. I think this is really something you should do. And then it started growing and then I met you 
over the summer. And, and that actually impacted me a lot too, because I spoke to you and I said, I'm thinking of starting this podcast. And I don't know if you remember what you said to me what, right away. And you said, oh, I'm so glad. I've really wanted to do one, but I haven't been able to do it. I'm so glad. Can I be a guest? And you <laughs> asked me. I didn't even have to say, would you be a guest? Because I was going to ask you, you asked me to be a guest. And it That's was awesome. such it was such a reaffirming thing that I thought, you know, I I think this really is something I need to do because, you know, I respected you as your, with your blog and with your books that you've written. And I so respected what you thought and the fact that you thought this really needs to be done. And you had felt pressure to do it yourself and then realized that you just couldn't at, you know, this time in your life. So it was huge for me, actually. So oh, that's awesome. That. That's awesome. I love podcasts. And I got to tell you, Five years ago, I went to a conference to learn how to do podcasts so that I could start a podcast for grieving parents. And here we are five mm -hmm. years later, and I haven't even done squat, right? So when you said that you were going to do it, I just thought, yes, this is another <laughs> way that people are going to feel less alone because this journey, I know that sounds like a word just from like The Bachelor or something, but this journey <laughs> is so hard and so lonely. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. Well, and it's so hard when you feel like you are alone. And I have really um, valued being in a support group. I actually, um, you know, when when Andy died, I Andy sang a solo, um, and that's actually always at the end of my podcast. If you if you listen to the very very end, you can always hear Andy solo. He sings the last verse of "Away in the Manger." It was the last Christmas before he died for the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys, and it talks about um, like being ready for heaven in the, in that verse. And um, so I posted that. We posted that a YouTube video on that, and I put it on Facebook and. Because I, he sang that for me. It's kind of a cool story because he was at his dress rehearsal. I was listening to them sing. He sang the solo. I'd never heard him sing the solo. I was like shocked by how beautiful it sounded from my little boy. And I was like fumbling to try to record it. And the he finished singing. The director stopped the choir and looked at Andy and said, that was perfection. And then he looked at me and he said, did you get all that, mom? And I said, no, just the last 17 seconds. It's OK. And he said, well, Andy, you're going to have to do it again. And <laughs> and he made Andy sing that solo a second time just so I could record it. Oh. Um, and that recording was played at his funeral. And then I posted that just days after he died. And we had over 70,000 people listen to that. I mean, it was going crazy. Um, and then I had someone reach out from the east side of the state, from Michigan, and um, whose son had been killed in an ATV accident, I I think the day I released that. So just days after Andy. Right. I mean, we were on the same path exactly. Andy Andy died on, um, on a Wednesday, and this boy died on a Sunday. And so she listened, heard that song. And she reached out to me on Facebook. And we never, still to this day, have not spoken. I do not know what this woman's voice sounds like. But we <laughs> used to write on Facebook most days. 
because we were feeling the same thing and I needed someone to be there with me who was going through the same thing. The boys were the same age. It was just, and it was so important. I, I'm actually looking forward to having her maybe on the show at some point in time because I felt like we were so there for each other. That's a great Um, idea. Yeah, but but it's funny too that neither one of us have even wanted to like speak or meet in person yet because this is just our special thing that we have just on Facebook, you know, just our little writings that we do to each other. But it's just so important to have that to be able to feel like someone is there with you when you're at in the valleys, when it is just so low, when things are so hard. Yes. And, you know, I would say that when Jack died so suddenly, I really wanted my friends around me and they were around me. And I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. And in those early days, I definitely had offers from other bereaved parents who heard about this tragedy or read about it in the newspaper. And they reached out to me. At the beginning, I was not interested because mm-hmm. I only wanted people around me who knew Jack, who knew me. Right. And mm-hmm. then later it became so important to me to find these people just like you and um, your friend found each other, mm-hmm. um, either online or going out to lunch one-on-one with another mom who's, whose son had died. It, it became so important because mm-hmm. they, could, they could offer a different kind of friendship than my other friends could. Mm-hmm. And... Um, if you are a bereaved parent and you have not been able to find um, other bereaved parents, I, I just really encourage you not to give up on that because yeah. you can you, you can be there for each other in a way that, that people who haven't been through it can't. It doesn't mean they don't love you. They love you so much, oh, they but do. they just don't understand. And, so, and it's just um, a little scary. I mean, it's just scary for people because and they get so they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. And people are so scared to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing that it, you know, it's just hard. And I feel for them. I feel so much for those for people that I love, just not knowing how to treat me anymore. Um, but I think just trying to be honest um, with what you need is important. Yeah. It's hard to have to put that on the griever. It is. It is. It's it's one more um, burden to an already burdened person. But if you are able to maybe articulate to those closest to you what you need and what you absolutely do not need, um, mm-hmm. that will end up helping you in the long run because you're helping them help you. So, for mm-hmm. instance, if um, if you have have suffered. Um, you know, a miscarriage or a stillbirth. And, you know, it seems like everyone around you and your family and your friends is having babies and nobody knows how to treat you. Or I hate that the burden could fall to you, but, 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 but maybe you could say, you know, I'm really hurting it and I, I need someone to acknowledge my baby. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you sometimes, you know, and then I think just giving yourself the grace to do what you can. So, you know, if you have that baby shower, there will be a, maybe I'm going, maybe I'm not. Yes. It will just kind of depend on how things are that day. So not putting that pressure on yourself either way saying, well, there's no way I'm going to go to that. Or to say, well, you know, it's my sister-in-law. I have to go. You, you have to give yourself grace both ways 
to be able to do what you have to do at that moment and to have people understand that plans can change and will change sometimes minute to minute. Absolutely. Because, you know, there are so many grief triggers that we, we don't anticipate. Something like a baby shower can be so triggering and, and you could probably anticipate that. But then there'll be mm-hmm. other things that just hit you out of left field. And um, mm-hmm. that's when you just have to give yourself grace because be, because you can get blindsided by grief. I know, you know, I wouldn't have anticipated um, different times that I, that I would break down, but it, first of all, breaking down is very healing because I really believe that the, the, the tears are healing and, um, and that they're important, but, you know, sometimes I just wouldn't want to be a blubbering mess somewhere, like on the field trip with my fifth grade daughter's class, but I would be a blubbering mess and that's okay. It actually, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like with this podcast, with books, with, um, even just things going around on Facebook about grief, because, you know, people really mm-hmm. share a lot of articles. I feel like all of that is, is helping educate our, our world a little bit more about, um, about grief and how to be there for people and things to say, things not to say, but also that, you know, to, to, to give each other forgiveness, but still keep showing up. Even if you say something dumb, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like, like people worry about what to say around me. And what I say is intention really comes, comes through. So mm-hmm. if I feel like your intentions are, are pure and you're not trying to make it all about you, then you really, you know, yes, maybe you can say something stupid, but it's, it's not going to hurt our relationship. If I think your intentions are, are love towards me. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. No, I, um, I just met with my partners in my pediatric practice yesterday because we're planning my return to come back. And, and, um, I, one of the people said, well, you know, we're just worried about what you're going to be able to handle and what you're going to be able to see. I certainly don't want you to be, have to see teenagers with anxiety and depression. I'm sure you wouldn't want to do that. And my response back was, where do you think my heart is now? That is where my heart is. I mean, I do want to help families heal and help them be whole and teens with, um, struggles with mental illness, that's where my heart, I feel most needed. I feel more needed there than I do treating a kid with an ear infection, honestly. I mean, not that I won't be happy to be treating kids with ear infections again, but really, I think I understand some of those emotional issues almost better now, definitely better, which I hate to say that there's anything good that came from Andy's death, because that's just something you don't want to ever say. But um, I do feel more um, like I can appreciate that and help people emotionally better than I could before. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you helped educate um, your partner by responding that way, because a lot of times people think that they are protecting us or, you know, trying to mitigate some of this for us, but it might be off base because it really doesn't match up with, you know, what our, what our experience is. And Mm -hmm. so I'm glad that you said something. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important to uh, just to let people know that they, as much as they want to try to guess how you're feeling and think this is going to be bad for you, this is going to be good for you, this is what we need to avoid. They don't know. And um, they need to just 
be able to be open to what I say I can do. Um, and, and it's going to be different with every person, right? I mean, no one's grief is the same. We are all different people. We all handle our grief differently. Um, there may be other people that would be the opposite. They would say, yep, I'm never going to want to see anything related to anxiety or depression in a kid again because I just can't handle it. Right. Um, that's not the way I felt. So different people just are different. And like you, and, and you writing the book and me doing the podcast, that does not mean that's for everybody. I mean, that... I don't want to put pressure on anyone that they've got to go and start blogging and go and start doing all of these things now. Um, that is just what what we felt nudged to do. Absolutely. And you feel nudged to do something entirely different. Right. Um, and, you know, not everyone needs to start a foundation in their child's name. I mean, there are so many right. different options. But for some people, just getting out of bed is a huge victory. And that needs to be, you know, needs to be recognize that that is that's a big deal and um uh-huh. and that's an accomplishment and that deserves a little mini celebration and sure. that's that we've got to celebrate those little little things because when you're in the depths of grief it is so hard to think tomorrow is going to be better than today yeah because really it's not going to feel any better you know, tomorrow is not going to be significantly better than today. Just like today is not significantly better than yesterday. But bit by bit, moment yeah. by moment, it is just the tiniest bit, imperceptible, you know, day to day. But yeah. over time, there is healing and there is hope and there is a future. A hundred percent. And I remember one of the first um, speaking engagements I did after Rare Bird came out. And this uh, very young dad stood up and, and he said, and his infant daughter had died in her sleep. And he just said, Anna, and this is in a, a space with 400 people. And he was so vulnerable. It was just amazing. He stood up and he said, Anna, is there ever going to be a time when I'm going to drive to work and I'm not going to feel like turning my car into a truck, like just steering right into a Mack truck? And I was able to say, absolutely, there will come that day. But you know what? He came that night. He went out on a winter's night and Mm -hmm. when he probably felt so hopeless and he came to hear me speak and all these little things were going to help him. And you know what? He didn't steer into the truck that day. And that's an accomplishment. And Mm -hmm. I could tell him that there would come a day when he wouldn't feel like steering into a truck. And I could say that with... um, with all honesty, because I had uh-huh. felt I had felt that way. And I think that's another reason why it's important for us all to be there for each other, because we provide light on the path for those coming after us. And there will mm-hmm. always, always, always be those who come after us. It just breaks my heart to even think, because it's just such a hard path. And I hate the idea that others have to follow it as well. But that is hopefully what we can try to do here is to try to help other people because that is absolutely 100% my goal. I feel like if I could help a handful, that would be enough for me. And yeah. um, and I certainly, I feel like I've done that already because I've had enough people reach out that it's, we're more than a handful already and I'm sure. only, you know, a couple weeks in. So, um, wow. But I, I think about that that man too and how he felt really really hopeless at that moment 
but there must have been just a tiny bit of hope because he did get in the car and he did come hear you. And so there is a little bit. Um, so I, that's, that's just important to remember that when you feel like hope is gone, think of the little things that you did do that day, whether it's just getting up and making some lunch or, you know, whether it's having to get your kids off to school or if your child was older, maybe seeing those grandkids, which I know can be painful too. You know, just every little thing you do is an accomplishment. It makes me think about how sometimes the things that are the most basic, which is just reminding ourselves to breathe mm-hmm. and to drink, drink and drink a glass of water and just to be with our feelings instead of, um, and I know it's scary, it's so scary, but being with our feelings instead of um, trying to numb them through alcohol or through through something else that can be so so tempting. Uh, yeah, when we're in so and you can pain. you can understand why people do that. I mean, I can certainly understand that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's obviously, if you can avoid that temptation, um, and just try to face, face it a little more head on, um, it's the way to get through the healing better, even though it's so painful to do. Mm All right. Hey, I do want before I let you go, I want you to tell us about that new book, because I just love that one, too. Oh my gosh, I would love to. So this book is a children's book and it's called A Hug from Heaven. And it is a beautiful hard cover book because I wanted it to be able to be given as a gift when you just don't, you're going empty handed. You feel like, what am I going to bring to a family that is grieving? This book is a great gift book and it is for any child who has um, lost any loved one. So because of that, it's like a special message from that loved one to the child. And um, it comes from the different experiences uh, that, that I've experienced after Jack having gone to heaven and just those special connections, how we all stay connected to those who have died. It is not just um, for families that have lost children. I mean, we're talking, it works for you know, grandparents and caregivers and siblings and the loss of a friend. Because I remember when Jack died, my heart was just breaking for those friends who mm-hmm. were grieving and didn't know what to do with that grief. So this book, A Hug from Heaven, is a, is a wonderful gift for children. And the surprising thing is it has really resonated with adults too. Oh, I think so, it's great. I love it. So you know how you're saying you couldn't read, you couldn't read, you couldn't read? I hear you. I couldn't read either. But um but everyone can read a children's picture book. So mm-hmm. it's actually something you could give adults as well. And it is, um, it's coming up on its third printing. It hasn't even been out a year. Um, I really, really, really hope that you'll love it as, as, as much as I do. It's gotten oh, back. I, I absolutely love it. And I even love, really love the title too, because um, one of the things I miss very most about Andy is Andy's hugs. Yeah. I, I mean, Andy used to hug me every day. He was always my sensitive one, right? Always telling me he loved me. And those hugs would come every day, even when he was 14. And I would cherish them so much because I kept thinking one of these days he's going to grow up and he's not going to hug me like this anymore. But it never happened because, you know, he didn't live long enough to stop hugging me. But I just love that name of that book. And 
I think it means so much to me just because I miss my Andy's hugs. And if I can think of hugs coming from heaven from yeah. him, yeah. it's pretty special. That is so, pretty special. That is pretty special. So now I'm getting all emotional as we tie things up, but I just wanted to make sure to touch on that new book because I really do love it. Well, you know, I just really, really appreciate your having me on. This is just, um, this is just something I'm really passionate about. I just care so much about people who are hurting. And um, I know that you are reaching listeners who are saying, you know, I, it's the pain and the longing are so great. They're so powerful. And so I just, um, my heart goes out to those folks. And I will say, I just want to encourage you because um, I know it's hard to look so far into the future. I cannot even believe that I'm saying that Jack has been in heaven for eight years, but he has. And I just want to encourage people that um, that there's so much hope. There's, there's joy for you and for me in the land of the living. We yearn so much for heaven and I totally get that, Mm -hmm. but there's still joy to be had here. Even if that sounds ridiculous for me to be saying, I just, um, I just want to throw that out there because I I passionately believe it. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on today. I really appreciate it. I have enjoyed our talk. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.